Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge, joined by my co-host, Shelly. How's it going, Shelly? Pretty good, Serge. Today's a very special day. It is a very special episode. This is our second crossover show that we've ever done. And Mm -hmm. I think this crossover is interesting because uh, we're actually in Australia. So I've never been to Australia, Shelly. This is extremely exciting for me. I do not want to say any Crocodile Dundee quotes, even though I've been thinking about it in my head. Thank you. But we're really excited to bring our friends from Tapod, Craig and Lauren. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're very excited. Yeah, doing a crossover is something that is fraught with danger. But at the same time, it's going to so exciting to live on the edge. So for our audience, if they haven't heard of you, watch the spike in listenership uh, hit. Because honestly, uh, I think Australia is our greatest labor force. If you go to any of the ski resorts or any of the like the real high end hospitality, it's all Australian. But for those in our audience that haven't heard of you, can you just tell them who is to pod? Well, it was my idea, actually. I to, say mine. Uh, he's full of shit. And my, <laughs> our listeners know this. So it was my idea. We met a few years ago across a table at an industry event and just got along like a house on fire, caught up a week later for a coffee. And I said, look, I wouldn't mind doing a, po- a podcast. No one does one in Australia about talent acquisition at all. We're all listening to stuff out of the States and Europe being the closest labour market that we can get to mm-hmm. us. States is more its own little world. Oh, good, isn't it though? Yeah, and next thing we set a date and we just did it. Yeah, my recollection's a little bit different. We were in this. You crowd, were shit faced. We we're in this crowded room watching a very formal presentation. <laughs> Lauren was swiping left on her Tinder app the whole time. <laughs> and I uh, that, actually, I think that's true. Yeah, so she wants to leave out that detail. So it might have been her idea for the podcast, but she had other things on her mind. Well, we know someone else who was a big hitter in the industry was showing me his Spotify playlist for his fiftieth birthday. Yeah, it's one of those uh, days. But look, we. <laughs> One of those ones where we all just have our own little world at the table. (laughs) But we love what we do. We love listening to you guys. It's amazing the types of topics that overlap globally. Canada and Australia are so similar in a lot of ways. I always say that if I couldn't live in Australia, Canada would be my second place. I've got my second family in Vancouver and do like to hit uh, Vancouver every two years to catch up with them, but haven't been over because of this bloody COVID. We'll know where to look for you when you get deported then. Let us know when you're coming down, Lauren, and we'll make sure that we've got the border guard ready to accept you in our country. Shouldn't be an issue. So, Lauren, tell me why why would Canada be your second country? What makes it so special for you? When I was in my 20s backpacking, I met some fabulous Canadians, and we've just remained best friends ever since. All of us will meet up in Hawaii just for a catch-up every now and again and get a big house, which we always nickname the Big Brother House. And watch a group of middle-aged people revert back to being (laughs) (laughs) 20-something. We all realize this. There is a lot of similarities between our shows. There's a lot of similarities between the the host that we have. And like I said, I do listen to your podcast. And I think sometimes I'm not as nice to Shelly as I should be. But then I listen to Lauren and Craig and I'm like... 
Whoa, I'm way nicer than them. So tell me a little bit about your dynamic. Do you guys actually like each other is my first question. Oh, look, it goes, it's, it's in stages, isn't it? Yeah, we're like husband and wife in the office. Yeah, yeah. so he's like my, um, my wife. Yeah. He's your wife? Yeah. Um, I'm, a bitch. I'm a bitch, I think that's about it. <laughs> he's my office husband and we just have this banter. It was just natural from the start and we just keep it going and – it just I think it comes to a point where, like, you know, if you're comfortable with each other, you don't take offence with what, what anyone says. It's if you're in a pub and you're having a chat and you just call each other out for whatever. None of us. I'd take- be very happy to yell across a bar going, yo, dickhead, get me a beer. <laughs> <laughs> but most people know that she picks on me a lot more than I pick on her. And, but I've got broader shoulders and I can take the sort of abuse that comes f- so commonly out of this one's mouth. <laughs> Well, it's like the opposite dynamic to our show because I pick on Shelly a lot more than she picks on me. And we do argue, but we don't argue as much as we thought we would when we started the podcast. But then I listen to your show. I'm like, yeah, that works. They argue a lot more. So I'm trying to find topics that we can argue more on. But we do have a lot of exciting things that we want to talk about with our Australian partners. So how about we just dive right into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Are you guys it. ready? Oh, so, right. you know, I think I'm just going to make an assumption here, but I would think that you're probably experiencing similar to what's happening in Canada around what's been coined the great resignation. And, and what is that really meaning for talent acquisition in Australia? Craig, can I toss it over to you? Mm. Can you tell us a bit about what you're seeing in Australia or is it the big drama that we're hearing out of the US for you guys? Interesting. So look, I don't know the answer to that, Shelley. We're seeing pockets of it happening, mass resignations, sectors that Mm. are based on opportunity that they've got to move around. Mm. But at the same time, you look at the word, this word bores the crap out of me, but data, right? If we look at the data, any data we're getting is months old. You can look at some surveys that are saying, oh, what's the feeling out there? But anything that's released by the Australian Bureau of Statistics, which a lot of people are writing about, was released in February this year and based on data from last year when no one was resigning because they couldn't resign. They were just getting sacked because mm. of COVID. Mm. It's really difficult. And I don't want to jump all over Lauren because Lauren is the stat queen. <laughs> So I'm sure she knows a hell of a lot more than I do, but I'm going to talk from personal experience in my business. Around about 41% of current projects that we're working are coming from backfill or resignation, so existing roles, which is a hell of a lot, given the market we're in where everyone is bloody hiring. So there's that, you know, Mm -hmm. that constant juxtaposition, if you like. I I love That's your favourite word lately. I know. I know. I try to throw it in every week. He's been using that (laughs) word every week in a podcast now for about three or four weeks. (laughs) I'll come up with a new word eventually. But it's it's like the the dynamic of trying to attract new people but retain people, right? That's the problem. And the great resignation is something people can throw a dart at on a board. But Yeah, we did a podcast back in August about this great resignation and Mm. what people were talking about this. And... We're watching it closely and then all of a sudden our media here has picked up on it in the last three or four weeks and they're Mm. running with it. Oh, they're saying it's going to be in March. And I'm sitting here saying, no, it's happening now. It's not going to happen in March. It's happening right now. And that's backed up by figures coming out of LinkedIn in Australia too, that 26% of employers are saying that their job rates are higher. Mm. And so that's coming out of it now. If you look at the stats on our unemployment and where that's moving. Our unemployment actually has gone up in the last month by 0.4 and our underemployment has gone up by 0.3. So we are seeing a lot more people resign, but we're not actually seeing more jobs being created. 
as well. We've also got a negative population growth going on here at the moment too, which is pushing into our skills shortage area. But with the great resignation, it's a tough call because we're getting data saying yes and no in both ways. I think we're seeing it now. It's not going to happen next year. You look at the data coming out of the states, in my opinion, that will happen. But you've also, you guys know more so than we do about the states. From what we see, like they're paying under the poverty line for jobs. How can someone work and still be that bloody poor? It's so wrong. The system's so broken there. It it is. And I think what we're seeing in the States is really the great awakening in the sense that a lot of people are just not taking that shit anymore and not willing to get back in the workforce for poverty rates. Like they're not living wages in any ways. And And when COVID, it really changed the priorities of a lot of people. And they have a lot more options that they did not realize before COVID happened. A lot of these people that were working their shitty jobs are now doing freelance work that are actually paying the bills. And they don't want to go back in the service industry, get treated like shit. And plus, on top of that, get paid nothing. Like, who would want to do that? And put your life at risk in some ways. But in Canada, what we're seeing is it's quite similar to what they're saying in the US, but there's many factors that are different. So our minimum wage is much higher. So in most province that we have here, it's around $15 an hour. And if you compare it to what the minimum wage in the US is $7.25. So we're double what the minimum wage is in the US, but our market dynamics have shifted dramatically. And Shelly, correct me if I'm wrong, there's right now 9 million people that could technically work in the workforce that are not employed, but there's 11 million jobs. And we know out of that 9 million, 2 million are the Australians that didn't immigrate. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's honestly, because immigration, we do talk about the fact that your birth rate is low. I I don't know any stats. And like you, we won't hear from the government till it's irrelevant. But it seems like everywhere I turn, people have had babies during COVID. They they don't have anything else to do, but that's not going to help the labor market. Now, what it's done is so many women have kind of gone, you know what, we can make it work on one income. But really, I think the other big thing is we are also very dependent on immigration. There is a lot of work that Canadians just won't do. There's just no other way to put it. Like they, they think it's beneath them. They would rather not work than work a shit job. We and have so, those people here too. Yeah, those, and that's a percentage. I'm not saying it's 30%, but I'm saying those are the jobs that typically new Canadians or immigrants would take those jobs because they must work and that's gone. Like with COVID, they're just not there because there is yeah. there is no immigration. Very similar here. Our borders have been closed. Being an island, we've closed off during COVID to just about the rest of the world. And we're seen as or known as like the food bowl of Asia, where we produce a lot of fruit, vegetable um, farm work. And traditionally, they are either backpacker or new immigrant roles. And and so, spoiling. 30% of our working force comes from immigration every year, whether it be seasonal gig economy or skilled labour coming in with permanent residency or sponsorship. But what we've seen too with the gig economy, uh, 99.96% of the gig economy workers that would come into this country are not here. Hmm. That's your crops rotting. That's your Mm -hmm. Uber Eats drivers, your housekeepers, all of this. And I know this sounds something. Yeah, a a lot of your hospos aren't opening up because they can't get skilled waiters and waitresses in to the high-end ones. So it's actually hitting across every single industry and um, there goes your bloody Christmas party. And just a final thought over here coming back to the Great Resignation, 
Probably the, the most in-depth recent survey done was by ATC, which is like an employer group or association for talent acquisition over here. And they're saying that 51% of clients are seeing increases in resignation, which standalone doesn't mean much, right? Because 51% is about 50-50. But they've also found that 37% of all respondents didn't have any data they could use. So you've got to take them out. So in my view, resignation rates are definitely higher than what they've been in the past pre-pandemic and or. or yeah, I think it's real. We're all hearing in the US media and I know it's critical in the US, but I think we're seeing it definitely in Canada. I'd be shocked not to see it in Australia. Our workforce are fairly similar in some ways. But what I'm curious about is, so you're in Melbourne, which is known across the world right now as probably the strictest lockdown or strictest area for COVID. How is that? impacted work in general. I had to get out of my active wear, not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> on that one. I had to realise that after not wearing mascara and makeup for six months that it does go cloggy and you need a newie. <laughs> um, but hey, these things happen. <laughs> but they are, yeah, they are saying that we won't be locked down anymore here. So they're giving us we a little are- bit of hope. It affected, I think, a lot of people's mental well-being more than anything. Mm-hmm. The economy didn't come to a grinding halt like no. a lot of people predicted. And the bounce back has been instantaneous in terms of where we are and where we sit both locally and, and internationally. We've also got to look at, too, that we as a state, we are over 90% fully vaccinated for 12 years and over of our population. So wow. our vax rate is pretty darn high and I think we're nearly at 86% countrywide as well. Yeah, yeah. We were slow because we had a funny little um, beginning to our vaccine (laughs) journey over here. Uh, We won't go into it. It was just a lot of political stuff-ups and we were very slow, but we've become – It was a pissing competition really. Yeah, we've Mm. almost become the highest vaxxed country in the world now – but with new strains, like we've all found out in the last few days, no one knows what's going on. It's just one of those things now that you just put down to, you can't control anything. So let's just live with what we can live with and move on and do the, do the best we can. Mm, exactly. So we've talked about the great resignation and how that has impacted, particularly in recruitment. How about other massive recruitment challenges in each country? So really interested to hear from you guys. What do you think are the largest challenges your industry is facing now and into the next probably six to 12 months? There's a couple of things. If we look into the macro of it, and I think the great resonation has had a major impact on our talent pool because a lot of people are quitting. And as Shelly was mentioning early, is women have not come back in the workforce after COVID. And there's multitude of reasons why, and I think they're all great reasons, but it's causing a major issue, same as immigration. So we now have sectors that never had a challenge in staffing or getting the people they needed. But we're seeing a dynamic shift because like recruiters are the perfect example. Try finding a recruiter in Canada right now. It's almost impossible. There's plenty of recruiters. There's just very few really good ones. And even the shitty recruiters have found work because there's such a demand. There's just not enough workers for how many jobs that we have. And every company is struggling to be able to get the talent they need to be able to grow. Because when COVID hit, it also caused a major shift in digital transformation, really advanced us like five to 10 years ahead of the curve that Mm -hmm. we're expecting. So technical talent that we were able to get in other parts of the world is really hard to do right now, COVID related or other reasons. 
but we're still not there as employers knowing what we should pay in the market. So we are still underpaying. We're not being able to track. And there's one dynamic. I live mostly in the tech space is U.S. has aggressively come to recruit into Canada, which has caused a major challenge for our software devs, those types of roles. Hold on from that. So is it the deepest pockets that are winning at the moment over there? Yes and no. But Shelly, you're dealing with this on a really consistent basis. What's your thought? That it's the deepest pockets. I think that the challenge is how quickly management will actually listen to us. Like you were just saying, Lauren, we've been sounding the alarm that how crappy you treated people during COVID and lockdowns is going to come back to bite you in the ass. And so people did stay And now that opportunities open up, they're going to start to move around. And so we knew that was coming. I would say the other big cultural challenge that we are facing right now is because Canadians are typically slow to adopt new technology. I'm talking just from a recruiter's chair and that we are using tools like it's 1998. Canadian companies are very slow. They've always treated recruitment as this necessary evil. They just love to hate us. And so that's why I think a lot of recruiters left the industry and just Mm -hmm. said, fuck it. Like I am never going to put up with your shit because you give me all the pressure. You treat me like garbage. And then you fucking give me crayons and string and expect me to be able to recruit. (laughs) And then on top of that, when it fucks up, they end up blaming recruitment, not the line manager who approved it. And (laughs) I know Last year, they were first thing to go and cutting costs. The whole recruitment departments were gone. Now yes. this year, can't get enough of it. So yeah. big fat and- middle finger to you lot. <laughs> what is the recruitment challenge right now in Australia? Well, recruiters. <laughs> yeah, you're having the same challenge? Yeah, same problem um, everywhere. Everyone wants to hire recruiters. And as I just said, first people to get it kicked out the door last year. It's I'm true. a tech background as well. Yeah, we just cannot get enough tech. But what we are seeing is the deepest pockets are going insane over here. I, I've given this example a few times on our podcast that there was one candidate, he got counter, not counter off, he got offered by a company, a big American company who's over here who he interviewed with nine months earlier. Uh, a $200,000 sign-on bonus. Wow. Payable over two years. Who can compete with that shit? After tax, that's an extra eight grand in your bank account every month for two years. Take it, even if they are a shit company and a pack of assholes. You do it. Um, How has the pay been in Australia? Have you seen overall an increase on top of those big players? We have. It's been quite stagnant for the last probably, I would say, decade. Our salaries haven't really increased much and now they're going through the roof and it's unsustainable. Craig and I have had this discussion quite a bit about how is it going to right itself when the borders open up, the skilled migrants come back in. Um, And I've predicted, and I'm going to stick with my prediction, that we're going to see a massive corporate restructures and it's easier and cheaper to make people redundant on these crazy big salaries than to keep them on to bring their salary caps back to normal. Mm -hmm. That's what I think what's going to happen. Talking about the 
biggest challenge now and into the future for our industry, I think is for me around recruiter wellbeing. The levels of exhaustion from this year, the, the bounce back, the pressure, the fact that we're dealing with the most unreliable product in the whole world being people is just killing people by death by a thousand cuts. Lauren had a massive disappointment this morning with one recent placement. It's happening daily. And what are companies doing to look after their recruiters? Not much because the pressure's there. Mm. And if we lose even 20% more from people because of the stress in this great resignation mm -hmm. finding an opportunity outside of recruitment what it does is puts more pressure on those of us left in it it's just this cycle that I can't see the end and it is draining it's exhausting I'm tired the whole time and I'm sure you guys do too we love what we do with these podcasts but sometimes you come and you go, have I got the energy even to be doing this because of the shit day I've had or the shit week I've had and Every person in our industry we're speaking to is like that. And just to go back on that point about no one finding recruiters, Amy Schmidt, who's the head of TA globally for Canva, spoke to us a couple of weeks ago and said that she did a, a LinkedIn search and we all know how hard it is to get software engineers. But if she did a search on how many open roles advertised versus how many people with software engineer profiles and then did the same thing with recruiters, and it is far worse in recruitment. There is one open role for every three recruiters working at the moment. It's fucking unbelievable. And as an industry, I don't know the answers. Like we get smart people on as guests who give us answers and solutions. Yeah. We never do that. But the solution to the epidemic of recruiter wellness or well-being is it's scary, I think. Such a good point, because if you think about recruiters, what's happening in the market right now is there's such a demand for other jobs. They have options that maybe in the past they didn't have options. So that recruiter can now go take a different job, maybe a sales role or something that they're familiar with that we are losing recruiters to non-recruiting industries or sectors or verticals, which is causing the issue. Who sees, who sees the best roles on market before anyone else? The recruiters. Exactly. So if you're going to make a change yeah. of industry, we see the jobs are coming through before they get put out. So, Yeah, if you had a wish list of what would it take for the recruiter to stay, what would the company have to do to, to get you to stay? For me, it's the technology, right? Like you give me some fucking tools. What's on your wish list, Lauren? Seat at the table. Mm. Because I think that a lot of the line managers, hiring managers, some of those people out there still live in this nice little world of, oh, yeah, we'll interview these guys this week and we'll do second interviews yeah. the week after. <laughs> and yeah, I want to see a shortlist, even though that person was really good. It's like, get your fucking hand off it. This <laughs> is it. You like them, you hire them, because if you leave it another 24 hours, they're gone to somebody else and we start again. And they've got to get that. It's not just, oh, why can't you find me people? No one can find you people. If I find you someone, grab them. Yeah. So I think education that, and uh, a re-education of hiring managers and make sure that C-suite see what's happening. And that tech stack thing that you're saying too, Shelley, is really important as well. We, Lauren and I talk to lots of recruiters and we're both trying to hire recruiters all the time too. And, you know, people who are seasoned and know their shit are asking the question, what tech stack are you running? What ATS are you running? What integrations are you running? And we have guests on our show every week who are senior heads mm. of TA, and we ask them the question, what tech stack are you running? And most of them freeze and go, I, I don't, don't want to talk, talk about, about it. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it because I know people aren't going to come and want to join us. And that's just common. Your point about technology is really mm. poignant. We're becoming a data-driven industry 
mm-hmm. sprinkled with some marketing and that old sales beat or just being able to negotiate process is becoming like secondary or third on, on the wish list. Can I add to that? This is a combination of your requirement to the wish list, Shelley, and mine is that when we are getting a tech stack, can talent acquisition have a say in it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. imagine. Can you imagine? Legal or IT is going to decide that because, yeah, yeah we need to yeah. make sure our privacy yeah. laws are covered. Oh, fuck yeah. That's, I get it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If you guys aren't fucking using it, you've got no idea what you're buying out there. You might as well be going out and buying a sheep station because seriously. <laughs> but think about it. Recruiters are accepting to go work at those companies with shitty tech stacks. To every recruiter that asked me, what should I be looking for in a role? Don't go work for a company with a shitty ATS because you are going to be in that ATS 80% of your time. And do you really want to work with Taleo? And I don't know if Taleo exists in your world. You but- <laughs> yeah, like We're all too scared to say it because they might be sponsoring one of our shows too soon. So oh, no. about, which ones can we mention? <laughs> which bad ones are we allowed to I'll mention like- it. Any ATS as part of an HCM or HRIS is probably shit. They all fucking suck. So get an ATS from a player like Smart Recruiter, Workable. There's so many great ones that should not be part of your HRIS. That's the biggest challenge that I see. And recruiters don't care. It's shocking to me how many times that I talk to a recruiter and be like, so you're going into what ATS? Oh, I don't know. I'm like, you accepted a job and you don't know the tool that you're going to be using 70% of the time. So until recruiters force and start asking the question, we're still going to have companies introducing shitty ATS and tech products into the whole recruitment space until we have the power. I was just going to say my other wish is get me out from HR. Oh, yeah. Yes, I've been saying that for a decade. Surge became HR famous for being loudest, boldest, and funniest, talking about why we don't belong in HR. I believe that there should be a people umbrella. You've Mm -hmm. got HR sitting under that and you've got recruitment sitting under that and neither the twain shall ever meet in the occasional monthly meeting. And that's it. Well, how can you make the argument? A lot of organizations will say their number one priority right now is talent acquisition or recruitment, which is new. Like we all know that wasn't the case two, three years ago. But these same CEOs that are saying that have recruiting report under HR and HR reporting to them or someone else. Like how does that make sense if that's your number one priority and they don't even directly report to you? That's bullshit. Like, I'm straight back down to the fact that they don't understand what recruitment does and yes. how much of a tool and marketing tool it is for their business. So, again, that's got to come from the top down, that it does not sit in HR and HR does not kick in until that candidate has walked through the door on the first day. Yes. I think one of the good things that's come out of COVID is that talent acquisition as a term has become uh, broader and become more powerful in a lot of enterprise companies. You know, in Australia now, we talk very much around talent engagement and mobility. So it's it's a much wider remit. And also the ability or the need to have these people involved in strategy. That was the missing yeah. piece, was mm-hmm. strategy. And now in Australia, we are seeing it. We're mm. seeing the top end people in what is TA, I'm using quotation marks, but we're not visual. So now we're much more strategic, which we never were. And we're also looking at that data piece. We're looking at that marketing piece, all these things that we weren't. And it it takes people like yourselves and the positions that we're lucky enough to be in and other leaders to knock down that 
wall that so, is so closely guarded by HR. Years ago when I worked, I was head of TA for a professional services firm for Australia and New Zealand. Every Friday I sat in with the sales team and looked at their pipe, looked at what they've yeah. got coming through, making sure they knew that your rate card's out, you're not going to be hitting your profit margins with what's going on in the market, this is what the demand is, this is what the lead time is, just making sure that they're across it to keep everything moving and uh, a profitable business. Yeah. There's little things that help lead into it that also we've got to change and I'm talking about Australian experience here because I'm not sure what the Canadian one is. You know, you can do degree tertiary education in HR. Can you do it specifically in what we're doing or do we need to develop that properly? Because that's another thing. Professions are often led by degrees. And if we can't get a degree in what we do in talent, it's hard to make that a, a clear profession or a clear career path for people. So that's you know, just these things that, that crop up everywhere. You've got to start from the very beginning, which is in the education piece. And the best recruiters aren't necessarily tertiary educated, but to be taken seriously, there are certain you, little tickets. You're tertiary educated and you're crap. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So we talked a lot about technology here, but there is some difference in how we go to market when we talk about recruitment marketing as well. I worked for Indeed and it was so interesting for me because Indeed dominated in every market that we were in except one. And there was this player that I kept hearing about and I'm like, what is this Seek? First of all, is it still the case? Is Seek the dominant player in your space? And why is that? Well, Indeed has been able to go everywhere and just basically take the market in Canada. Indeed has 80% of the market share. Wow. What is it in Australia? What are you guys seeing? Well, Seek, well, we had no job boards down here 25, 23 years ago when Seek started. Seek was the first job board. It was the only job board for a very long time. So I think a lot of it comes back to you mentioned Canadians don't like to change their tech too quickly. Australians really aren't getting on board with it that quickly either. But Indeed's not that far behind Okay. What would you say? I think they're at 30 or 40% of the market share, 30%. And I think Indeed's about 50-something of market mm. share at the moment. I'm sorry, not Indeed, Seek. And LinkedIn oh. is huge down here. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also, look at the, the marketing machine that Seek had mm. uh, and the way they protected their monopoly that was really interesting. So they ran with trends. Yes, job board first, then build a resume database that they can really trap recruitment agencies, particularly into using. Then um, Seek Learning, which was a training and education suite, which they helped still people. still have that? Yeah, they do have that. Which it's becoming their biggest area of revenue, which helps people change their careers. But at the same time, by being part of the Seek ecosystem, they're fed back into that recruitment side as well. So they're they're quite clever in what they do. You don't want to you don't want to poke the bear, but recruitment agencies and most internal teams will describe Seek as a necessary evil. But as we move forward, uh, the strategies of attracting talent are becoming less and less reliant on job boards. And I think mm. we're seeing a change now. It's interesting because uh, we say the same for Indeed. Like Indeed is the necessary evil. The other thing that we are way behind in Canada, Shelley, you would agree with this, is programmatic players. A programmatic has been in marketing for 25 years. Is 98% of all marketing spend is done through programmatic. In Canada, programmatic spending on recruitment advertising is 5%. 
Is it even a thing in Australia? How does it look like there? We've heard Chat and Cheese and people like that talk about programmatic for a couple of years. And if we mention it in Australia, people look at you blankly. It took me ages to even work out what it was. And then probably the next six months to work out it's not worth us talking about at the moment because no one is doing it yeah. and I'm not going to be a leader for it. We know every time you turn on your Facebook or whatever else you do or do a Google search, there's you know people outside of recruitment doing it. And we know that LinkedIn use it very well when you're, you're trolling through LinkedIn. But in terms of spend, I, I really think that we're very behind to some of the markets that are incorporating it very well. So it's, it's something that, again, will change. But mm. at the moment, we're we're not very good at it. It's being next door to America and so closely aligned in that sense of neighbours that you don't have similar trends. No, we, we oh, do no. have different trends. And part of it is we want to be different than Americans. <laughs> yeah, I think that's... But we that, are that culturally. We, we, sorry. Go ahead, Shelley. Knock yourself out. Interrupt him. <laughs> <laughs> See, there is the number one Canadian trait is saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> and always apologizing. And Americans are not, right? Like they will just bowl their way through. Canadians are just exceedingly polite. And I, I guess that's what keeps the umbilical cord to the queen. <laughs> I don't know. Right. We all love Auntie Betty. <laughs> we do. We like her more than we like America. That's probably oh, where God, it's going to yeah. be, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So what should be in an Australian tech stack? On top of your ETS. Oh, wow. Australian tech stack. This is a toughie because I totally 100% agree with you. Any ATS attached to an HR system is a big fat no-no. Mm. I think you need to build your tech stack starting with your ATS and what other bolt-ons you can throw in with that. I think some of the big ones in Australia are obviously smart recruiters, but some of the Australian-owned ones like JobAdder is a little ATS that gets around does it quite well here. Video interviewing is another thing that we do well here with Alchemy Interactive, Video My Job. The big one everyone's talking about at the moment is Rejig here in Australia. What is Rejig? What's that? Rejig is an AI platform that you bolt into your, assist, your ATS and it basically mines data about your employees and can predict when they're looking for jobs, when they're looking to move, all of those soft skills and other skills that you don't normally see that can also help with internal mobility and trying to limit the, the people going out the back door. Yeah, it really looks at underutilisation in your own existing workforce mm. and, and how better to use that to grow as a business. And it, there's a lot of talk on it at the moment. Everyone's saying it's going to be the next unicorn in Australia. We've, yeah. we've been lucky. In terms of our rec tech, smaller rec techs, and along with New Zealand, we've come up with a number of really good yeah, pieces of weirdly, work. Yeah, um, you've got Culture Amp. HR on board and Enboarder. Yeah, so we've really good onboarding experiences from Australian tech there. But, but I think it's important too, if you look at someone like Smart Recruiters, making sure that your APIs are, are open so that the integrations are easy. You have a look at some of these larger players that you mentioned before, they put barriers up to integration. So pieces of tech you want to use to make your life easier and you know more efficient across the whole business, hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes to get it brought in. Whereas if your APIs are open, the integrations are easier, your work better. You're building a stack that makes sense. And mm. that's what a lot of businesses here in Australia are looking at. They're really taking the time from COVID to reinvest in their tech better. Yeah. Shelley, you're a bit of a tech head there. So what's the up and comers over there in Canada? So we're slow. Like just what you talked about. I'm like, oh, that sounds so nice. <laughs> <laughs> we 
bust our asses to find great talent to bring to our organization. And then they have a shitty onboarding experience. You know, to some people, even the idea of video interviewing is novel. Obviously, the lockdowns had an impact on it. But are they actually now looking at integrating that into how they recruit? Um, No, do you know what they're doing? These are some big companies. They've got a Zoom account, or they've got a Microsoft Teams account, and they start booking interviews on Outlook. I'm seeing companies, rather than taking the time to look at some good technology, make it a great place to work, put some tools in their hands, they just keep adding to the team. You know, they just keep hiring more recruiters, more recruitment coordinators, more sourcing. And if I hear one more company say that they just bought 80 job slots on LinkedIn, woohoo! They, they put out some sort of, I don't know, sales incentive for LinkedIn job slots. Like in 2011, that was probably a good idea. It's brutal. It's brutal. Shelly, I don't think you're giving enough credit to the talent acquisition technology in Canada. Because like, in all fairness, you work with old school <laughs> companies, right? Like a lot big of it, like I get yeah, it. Cause, big slow companies, for sure. So what I've seen is a lot of the companies that are wanting to adopt the technology that's recent is, is usually in the innovators. It's the smaller companies that are maybe not startup, but they're a little bit bigger. They're trying different things. But as you get to our larger companies, to your point, Shelley, they are very old school. They don't want to try anything else. They just put more bodies to it. They yeah. put more spend on Indeed, more spend on LinkedIn. But we actually have some great HR tech in Canada. It's just not recognized because it gets loss in the shuffle of the US, right? I would say the majority of the technology that I've bought has not been from Canada. I was using a video interviewing platform from Australia actually called My Interview. I loved it because it was really cheap. I think it was like $30 Canadian. But then me and Shelly had an argument, probably our biggest argument since we've had the show is on the value of one-way interviews. I'm a big supporter Shelly thinks it's the worst thing in the world. How do you guys feel about one-way interviews? Please, somebody chime in here. I used to be on your side, Shelly, but now I moved to the other side. And I think it's all about reducing bias. And one-way interviewing means that every candidate is getting the same experience. And they've got their ability to put their own moniker on it, as opposed to me making a decision as a recruiter and steering the interview down a, a path. I think it's got its place and it depends on the role. That's my opinion. If you're doing bulk recruitment in some of those types of situations where you've got to hire an extra 2,000 people for Christmas casuals, that type of thing, I think it's got its place. But for some, I don't. It's Yeah, it's useful, but it's not useful in other areas. But it's not the only part of a process. It's to to re- get people through the funnel. Yeah. It's the for, one-way interview. I, I think it's for volume recruiting. That's my mm. opinion. What are your thoughts, guys? I mean, we're... I, I saw Shelly shaking her head. So Shelly, this is yours. You got to take this. Um, so I honestly believe that one-way video interviewing is the absolute definition of how to record your own bias. Because if you are looking at a screen and you're answering questions and you mean to tell me a recruiter is going to sit somewhere and fucking watch all these, really? <laughs> they're going to sit there and watch you answer these questions. What they're doing is they are applying the ultimate in bias. Oh, she didn't take care of her background. Oh my God, get that girl some Botox. Oh my God, (laughs) they're not Canadian. Like it is the definition of bias in recruiting. 
how is this relevant to your ability to do the fucking job? Shelly, eventually you're going to see the person, right? Like, I don't yes, know how this exactly. changes the well, bias because no, you see because them on camera, you the see them face to face. This is top of the funnel. They're not even going to make it because they're already being ruled out based on their appearance and not their ability to do the job. It's your ability to talk to a screen and answer a fucking question. It is not your ability to do the job. What what do you see as other things you can use at the top of the funnel? Because we're making those biased decisions based on a name otherwise, or where they did their schooling or or something like that by a, a cursory glance at a resume. So if you're talking volume recruiting, I would advocate that if you've got 10,000 people applying to fill 1,000 jobs, you've got a problem that technology does need to solve. And mm. really being able to ask some really valid questions on what does this person need to know or do or say and pick five. Would that be like from a chatbot type setup? Chatbot or just simply asking the question, answer the question to get filtered through to the next level. But I'm not talking about, are you legally able to work in the country? But coming up with really intelligent, well thought out, you're making sure that you're not splatter approach. We need all this technology because we've got a high volume of applicants. And then the other side, we've got applicants going, fuck you. I've been ghosted enough times by you recruiters that I am never going to do this again. And how many times am I going to sit in front of a screen and answer your dumbass question? <laughs> um, I don't know who saw it. You say you destroyed it. But you know what I picture as a candidate that you've got recruiters and HR people going, oh, my God, look at what a fucking idiot this person is. Look what they said to this question. I wish I had time to do that. <laughs> do you have time to watch um, 10,000 candidate interviews? I have more time to watch five minute videos than I do to pre-screen on the phone the same amount of candidates. If you want to see candidate ghosting, try treating people like I won't even bother to phone and have a conversation with you as a human. Talk to the screen. How long do you think candidates are going to put up with that? You're going to get one of these. That was a middle finger. You will. Like you're shooting yourself in the foot if you believe that talking to a screen is a good human experience. I think at the moment you're probably right on this because the candidates hold a lot of the power at the moment, knowing that they're in demand in so many sectors. If you don't interview them well and you don't have that good onboarding, they will just get up and leave. Yeah, but as a candidate, I'd rather do a five-minute video then try to find a time to interview with you. I'll do a video any day before I do an initial 30-minute phone screen. No doubt I can do it when my kids are in bed. So anyway, I think we are going to agree to disagree. <laughs> so on that note, I really appreciate having you guys on the show. It's been amazing to learn a little bit about, first of all, your podcast. So for all our listeners, please go find Tapod. Am I saying it right? Like I, Because that's how uh -huh. I hear it. It's funny, we, it's funny. We've, I think that when we came up with the name, we probably didn't think it through properly because people oh. call it Tapod, TA Pod, but we call it Tar Pod, as in like a, a piece of tar, tar baby. Tar Pod. You know what I'm doing is I'm trying to pronounce it with like an Australian accent. So I'm like, Tapod, <laughs> um, which I don't even know if that's an accent or not. So let's just leave it at that. But do T A P O D. Craig and Lauren have a fantastic podcast, give you really good insight. And as you've realized from this show, they're very similar from Canada and the US. So I think there's tons of value of listening to that show. So thank you from the bottom of our heart. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. 
Absolutely. So much fun. Thanks, so guys. Fun. Thank Thanks you. For you. Next, next time. Thanks. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.